podcasting world. Welcome back to another episode of the Core Consult RX podcast. Uh, Cole is back with us today, finally, so you don't have to hear me just drone on by myself. And we are joined by our special guest, uh, Kevin Hope. Kevin, what's going on, man? Hello. Good. Thanks. And thanks for having me. Absolutely. Um, so you are currently the Director of uh, Education and Quality. Is that the title? I'm the Director of Continuing Education for FreeCE.com or yeah. FarmCod. That's awesome. So yeah. I'm sure anyone who's a pharmacist that's listening is very familiar with FreeCE. Probably nurses as well, pharmacy techs. Yeah, yeah. you've heard of FreeCE. Yeah, for sure. It's it's uh, saved many people from <laughs> freaking out when their <laughs> their CEs are due when they put them off. Oh, they still probably freak out. They just at least they them. have a solution. Yeah, now. they have a solution. Yeah. It, it is a convenient format and keeps us busy this time of year. Oh yeah. Every state's a little bit different in how they renew. Some states renew at the end of the year. Some by birth date, et cetera. But most are by the end of the year. So. We get that after Christmas rush of yeah, everybody that's okay. What am I supposed to do again? Some by birthday, right? Like so, you, like you have to. That'd be annoying. I won't have to worry about that on my birthdays. Right. Renewing my pharmacy you have to renew license. Your pharma- I, I, there, I didn't even pick that up. Yeah, you have to <laughs> yeah. renew your pharmacy license on your there, birthday. There are some states that is interesting. That. That's sad. What if your right. birthday is leap year? Yeah. Oh I mean, man, that would right. be great. That's yeah. good. Perfect. Sure. <laughs> You're good for four years. <laughs> <laughs> have a Y2K crisis all over. Right. The exactly. Board of pharmacy. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, so before you did that, though, you, your nuclear pharmacy is kind of like your bread and butter, your background, right? It is. It yeah. is. So what? Because I, I would be willing to bet that a lot of people listening, um, especially the non-pharmacy listeners, don't even know that that's a thing. Nuclear pharmacy. Now, um, right. give us some insight into like what that actually is. Right. It is a really small niche. Uh, it's one that I kind of fell into when I was working in the retail pharmacy setting. It is uh, it kind of just become disenchanted with retail pharmacy, and I'm sure that's not an uncommon story that you hear. Um, but um, I really liked it a lot. It was one that uh, I was able to grow a lot. I was able to learn a lot. Um, it's one of those careers that you have to go in in the middle of the night uh, retail with uh, retail pharmacy. You kind of work somewhat traditional hours, even though you know there are those that are out there that are open until midnight and wee hours of the morning. But for the most part, it's somewhat normal. With a nuclear pharmacy, though, the hospitals start these scans at 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, and with radioactive materials, you can't prepare them much ahead of time, so that means that you have to come in at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning to get these drugs prepared to be shipped out. And so that can be a, you know, a, a big challenge, and I would say that that was probably the biggest drawback uh, of the career. But I really liked working with the um, nuclear medicine technologists, sometimes with the physicians, uh, because you, even though there are only a handful of drugs in this field, you have to know those drugs really well because there are different parts that uh, you can get uptake in different areas where that means something clinically and to try to kind of troubleshoot those that, hey, you know, we probably shouldn't ignore this when this particular drug is being taken up, you know, by the liver or by the uh, gallbladder or whatever. Um, so nuclear pharmacy was uh, something I did for about 13 years and uh, was able to coordinate the authorized user program at the Medical University of South Carolina. They they lost an instructor kind of abruptly in the middle, and I sort of fit the bill for somebody who could could jump in and teach, and teaching was something that I didn't realize that I enjoyed until I started doing it, and it was something that I was uh, enjoyed and turned out to be really good at. So um, nuclear pharmacy was kind of my avenue into, believe it or not, continuing education, which is what I'm doing today. So nuclear, you're rolling up in there like three in the morning, done by 
like 10 is that kind of how it was that's pretty much the 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 gist of you know the normal uh, busy time of the day if you will now you know they do staff the pharmacies throughout the day because their hospitals are adding things on and whatnot but the biggest bulk of what goes on what goes out the door happens between say you know two in the morning and three and ten o'clock in the morning and you're primarily making bags of cancer medications that sort of thing no it's not cancer medications necessarily uh, most of the in fact most of nuclear medicine is not uh, therapeutic at all most of nuclear medicine is diagnostic meaning mm. that if we're you know and i always try to tell people that's kind of like if you break down on the side of the road in your car and you can pop the hood and look around a little bit sometimes you can see okay well there's a belt broken there that's what happened that would be kind of the equivalent to, say, having an ultrasound done or an x-ray done, that there are things that you can sometimes see that there's an obvious problem. And then there are other times that the car breaks down and you pop the hood and look under the hood and you don't see anything wrong. Everything looks perfect. And that's really where nuclear medicine comes into play. And nuclear medicine shows functionality. So they're able to look at things like uh, the heart, for example, and see where blood is being perfused, or more importantly, not being perfused. And that's, you know, the, the problem. Uh, with the gallbladder, they're looking at, uh, you know, how bile is being ejected from the gallbladder or not being ejected. And so kind of going back to the analogy of the broken down car, you know, you may have a patient whose gallbladder and it's not showing any stones or, you know, everything looks perfect. And then you do a nuclear medicine scan and you see that, well, everything looks great, but it's just not working. Yeah. And so then they you know, would take the patient's gallbladder out. Where years ago, they would have taken the patient's gallbladder <laughs> out and then, you know, the patient doesn't get better and they'd say, well, that, well, that wasn't it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It must have been wrong. <laughs> right. Also an effective method, but <laughs> right. not as convenient for the patient. Definitely Mike's way of doing it. <laughs> right. Um, so when, when it comes to, you know, the, the pharmacist role in that, are you, um, actually preparing these isotopes? Are you, are you double checking like, um, you know, whether or not the, I guess the, what was ordered is appropriate. How is it all the above? How do you get, what's the main role with you guys? You it's know, it's a field? little bit of all of the above, but I would say definitely the, in my mind, the preparation of it and, and the uh, compounding of it, if you will, is the most important part. Um, all say all not all but many uh, nuclear medicine products are combined with a, with technesium mm -hmm. and technesium comes from molybdenum and molybdenum comes from a reactor and these reactors are located around the world and so there are currently not any in the united states that are being used for medical purposes so we're still relying on uh, from you know vendors overseas to get this molybdenum into the united states just so that we can get technesium at our local nuclear pharmacy so logistically, you can run into all sorts of problems with that. If you just think about the last time you flew on a commercial aircraft, how many cancellations and delays you see, and all of that kind of trickles down to the, you know, to the patient mm -hmm. waiting in the lobby. Um, but um, the core product, the technesium, is then combined with these other radio tracers that can sort of you know, are designed to go to a particular organ, whether it's the gallbladder, the heart, the liver, the kidneys, what have you. And... The pharmacist has to kind of make mix that up, and you, you have to make sure that it really tagged to the product that you know you're not having the product that's going to go where the product is supposed to go, and then our technesium is going to go where technesium goes <laughs> when it's not tagged to anything, um, and you get a really expensive thyroid scan. Yeah. So, <laughs> so from the pharmacist standpoint, I think the most important role is that quality. That you know, yes, we did. You know, we really do have in this syringe what we say we have in the syringe. So is there risk for an explosion 
Or is that just yeah. not possible? <laughs> just technetium can it just just not, explode? Uh, no, not not possible. Okay, but I, I will took the thrill out a little yeah, bit, but yeah, it's okay. I, I will say, you know, and again, keep in mind, I've been doing this for fourteen years, so this was pre USP anything, right? Um, but we used to heat the Sestamibi, uh, uh, which is one of the products for cardiac imaging, in a water bath, and I do have a story about uh, one of those that went haywire, and it was just that the Little glass vial broke in the liquid water. And if you know how liquid boils, mm-hmm. the steam becomes radioactive. And so the, oh, the really? whole lab was radioactive. No. Oh, perfect. And so, yeah. It's <laughs> like so a mini Chernobyl. A mini Chernobyl. So that made for a bad day. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. not good. Right. Mm-hmm. Jeez. <laughs> Hey, I, I so, see that's the part that I wouldn't even think about is something like the so, the vapor and all this because you can't see the radiation. Right, that's a, right. Yeah, that's a game changer. And you know, and I think that's the other big part of the pharmacist's job in a nuclear pharmacy is radiation safety because it is very important. And you know, the three elements that they always stress are time, distance, and shielding. You know, time we're working as quickly as you can so you're not around and being exposed to something any longer than you have to. Distance, any kind of you can separate yourself from that radioactive source you're decreasing your uh, exposure by one. So if you double your distance, you decrease your exposure by a fourth or, you know, so um, anything like using tongs or anything you can do aside from just picking whatever it is up, you can, uh, it makes a big difference. Also shielding lead is a very effective shielding for the gamma radiation that's emitted by most uh, nuclear medicine isotopes. And so there will be lots of lead in nuclear pharmacies sitting all around, and the packages go out. The syringe actually gets dispensed in a little container that's a little lead lined container called a pig. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> I did have a good question there. <laughs> so, uh, with, um, I guess, being like, it, you know, the training obviously is different now. So um, you were teaching at MUSC. Um, they don't currently have a nuclear program anymore. Is that correct? They, they do not. And there are a handful of, uh, of universities around the country who do have authorized user programs kind of built into their pharmacy curricula, but they are by far the exception. Um, most individuals who seek uh, an authorized user status will do something. Uh, University of Purdue has a program that people will go to sometimes. University of New Mexico, University of Arkansas, um, both have some programs that are online. And so uh, some you know, individuals usually will do that. Now, in previous days, when I was going into nuclear medicine, typically the employer would pay for that. And it was kind of an accepted thing that, you know, you had your pharmacy license and then you were going to work in nuclear and they would pay for this. And we're seeing more and more as the job market becomes more saturated that, you know, the employers are expecting that to kind of already be in place. Mm. The person's already done that on their own or, you know, if they're lucky enough, they can get somebody from one of these, you know, schools that already has the program kind of embedded into their curricula. So they push the price on the pharmacist. I remembered. Um, so are, are the preparations like patient specific? Because it seems like I always imagine those sorts of things were made like a factory and just shipped to the hospitals, but they're done locally. Is it specific, or you just kind of make the same thing for everybody? They are done. Uh, they are done specific uh, for patients. Um, you know, as in a unit dose. Now, in terms of you know, is it compounded differently for a patient? Typically, not. Uh, it, just like any other drug, you know, sometimes they're weight based. Where if a patient has you know a particular uh, over a particular body weight or something, that may increase the dose. Right. But uh, other than that, no, everything is pretty general in terms of what they're trying to see and uh, what uh, what dose they're going to want. 
I cool. guess pediatrics may be another exception, but to that where, you know, the dosage would be reduced. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. And there's also a, a, cause you're board certified uh, as a nuclear pharmacist too, right? So you can get through like BPS. Is that? I, I was board certified in nuclear pharmacy. I, you know, it's one of those things I let go because it's just not something that I do routinely you know, day in and day out anymore. But I was um, board certified at one time, uh, strongly encouraged individuals who are certainly practicing in that field and really any, um, uh, related field to, to seek board certifications, a, a valuable thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so it was at one time. So if, if a student, you know, that's interested in that, especially if they're already in pharmacy school and maybe mm-hmm. their program doesn't offer that while they're a student, is there a way that they can seek out that training and like, do, is it like, like do the online program with Purdue, um, you know, ahead of time before they're licensed or do you have to be licensed to do a lot of those programs? You know, that's a great question. And, and to be honest, I don't know the answer to that okay. question, whether, you know, those, uh, um, colleges accept students while they're still in school, um, you know, my inclination would be that they probably would and you know that, that that I don't see any reason you know that they wouldn't as long as there's a sponsor for that student who's an authorized user and kind of willing to train them you know locally um, but I certainly can't speak for those programs gotcha so um, advice then for students that are thinking about going this route that maybe their program doesn't offer it um, would it be to obviously look into that but then also um, like reaching out to a nuclear pharmacy like is, is internships things like that or even shadowing available right. absolutely and most uh, nuclear pharmacies are really excited to have students uh, most of them and I, again i used to work at a nuclear pharmacy here in charleston south carolina and we loved having students we used to get students almost on a monthly basis from the from the south carolina college of pharmacy or from musc and um it was uh, always very uh, enriching for us because it's, you know, as you teach things, you're, you're learning things at the same time. I've always believed that the mm-hmm. biggest, uh, the biggest way to, to learn something is to teach it to somebody else. And, um, we loved having students in and it's, um, you know, I would encourage you if it's something that you're interested in to check out the nuclear pharmacies in your area. Uh, they're not certainly not in every city. It's one of those things because it is sort of a, centralized pharmacy that services a geographical area you'll find that you know there will be in usually in larger cities or around larger cities and there will be one of them kind of per you know larger city and you know i mean there obviously are exceptions but just using south carolina as an example i can think of probably uh, three or four pharmacies in the entire state that are nuclear pharmacies Hmm. Hmm. interesting well, um, what about, you know, the exposure? You, you did mention, like, the lead and all the safety mm-hmm. precautions, but what about, like, the overall exposure uh, to the radiation? Right, and everybody, that's always a big concern, and, you know, they, it, you know, there's no way that I can tell you that it's absolutely safe that, you know, that, you're, you know, that there isn't any risk, but they have done lots of studies on uh, radiation exposure of individuals who've worked not only in nuclear medicine but also in other fields of radiology over the years, and they do find that... Um, overall that there's a slight reduction in lifespan for individuals who work in uh, radioactive environments but you know i have to say you know with that you think about uh, the cosmic radiation that we receive every day and airline pilots you know are exposed to that every single day that they go to work and you know in the terms of radiation exposure they're actually getting more radiation exposure than we're getting at the nuclear pharmacy but nobody (coughs) You know, if anybody questions like whether, you know, an airline pilot has a dangerous job, they're thinking about whether or not the plane's going to crash. Right. Nobody mm-hmm. ever nobody ever thinks about the radioactive component, the, you know, radiation exposure. Um, but, yeah, that's a, you know, that's another real piece. And so it's kind of, I always tell people, you kind of put it in perspective. It's, um, 
you know, it's kind of you can look at the data and you can become horrified or you can look at the data and kind of be like, well, this is, you know, maybe comparable to be an airline pilot or, you know, some of the other things that I could choose to be. Yeah, I mean, you got to die of something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nuclear pharmacy. You won't live as long, but you'll live. Yeah. Yeah. You'll live while you're living. You're going to live quite as long, but oh. you're going to like your job. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be off by 10 or 11 a.m. So it's going yeah, to be good. Yeah, that's a pretty cool yeah. gig. But, you know, people who are much better at statistics than I am, who, you know, will look at it and say, you know, that the risk is the same as, you know, smoking this many cigarettes or something. You know, and so there's always these little kind of things that are uh, that you can kind of look at to to weigh, you know, how dangerous it is. In my mind, you know, at the end of the day, you know, am I concerned about, you know, the radiation exposure, you know, that I'm getting, you know, obviously if I'm practicing, you know, correctly and using the tools that are given, I'm not concerned about it. Yeah. Yeah. My heart rate being at, you know, 120 to 140 for 12 or 13 hours in a day has to be equivalent to a few cigarettes at least. least. As far as decreasing my lifespan in retail pharmacy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're done. I would say so. Or at least the amount of times I get yelled at during the day. Right. You know, I, I, I would that, say retail pharmacy has to cut at least five years off <laughs> something your life. off your yeah. life, yeah, <laughs> for sure. Um, so how you know you, you did mention the teaching, which I do like because, um, and I've talked about this on my own, you know, kind of path is I never even had teaching on my radar. That was never right. something that I thought about, especially not for PA school because I. You know, if you thought about if I thought about teaching before, it was of course I'm going to teach. Didn't you graduate pharmacist. your first class recently? Yeah, was that what Saturday? Awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Congratulations! Congratulations. Hey, I mean, it's I, all you. I was. Yeah, I was just going to say it was definitely wasn't <laughs> all of me. I taught a small piece, but um, you know, doing the teaching stuff is one of my favorite things now. And you were saying as well, and I, it's something I never even thought about. So I do like that you kind of use that as a springboard um, to teach and stuff. But how how did that transition into your current role now with FreeC.com? Yeah, absolutely. When, uh, as I mentioned, I got into teaching the authorized user program for nuclear pharmacy at MUSC, and that was very much in conjunction with my role as a nuclear pharmacist. It was kind of one of those things that uh, we were an independent at the time, and the owner of our nuclear pharmacy, she was also on the board of directors for MUSC. They saw this need, and Guess who? Yeah, I got I got volunteered to fill it, which which I you know not complaining about. It was a wonderful wonderful experience, and and so I'm very thankful for that. But you know at the same time it was kind of something that I was doing on top of everything else that I was already doing, and uh, you know as I got into it and I realized that I really liked working with students. I really liked seeing students succeed and seeing that they can do something that they didn't think that they could do. You know when they started out, and that's the most rewarding thing at all of all. Um, <laughs> So um, as the years went by, I told you I jumped in to fill in for that one course. Uh, we did. We graduated that class, and then they decided that they would uh, keep me on to do the program, and, and that uh, the funding stayed for that for uh, two or three more years. And so I stayed uh, and graduated two or three more classes there, and then the funding went away uh, for that program as some of, as the job markets started becoming more saturated during over that period of time. But uh, there was a need that popped up in uh, Myrtle Beach, which is about an hour and a half to our north here in Charleston. And that was for a pharmacy technician educator. And they had a pharmacy technician training program there at our community college, Ori Georgetown Technical College. And I took a role on there directing that program. And that was eye-opening for me. Uh, you know, number one, you know, the you I talked about the successes with students and whatnot. That was just it magnified and exploded in, in the tech, technician uh, environment because you did get so many people who were 
really kind of trying to make a better life for themselves. And they were coming in and, you know, they're just like, I can't do math. And it was like to see them succeed and to see that, yeah, mm-hmm. I really can do this. And then to look back and say, wow, I did this. That was really uh, very rewarding. So I did that for two years. Very fun little experiment there. Uh, the, uh, you know, looking back on it, the days were great. It was, you know, simulated labs, you know, all the time. So you kind of think of miniature version of pharmacy school, but, you know, simplified uh, down to the more logistical aspects of how you do things. And uh, I was able to do that for about two years, and then they got rid of the program. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, yeah, <laughs> right, <laughs> these programs need to get it together. Yeah, <laughs> funding yeah, over here. Yeah. So again, it was, uh, you know, but the, I said it was an eye-opening experience for me because, you know, things in the, in, in a lot of pharmacists don't, you know, as I talk to them, don't realize this. And I certainly didn't realize this until I started doing it. But when you go into the pharmacy technician education arena, you realize like how different this is from state to state. I mean, you have states out there um, who require a, you know, an accredited program to be completed before you can become a pharmacy technician all the way down to states that they don't even define what the role of a pharmacy technician mm-hmm. is. They don't even register them. So, mm-hmm. you, I mean, hmm. you, you could literally go to the board of pharmacy and say, who are the technicians in your state? And they wouldn't even know. And uh, so it's, you know, pretty scary stuff. And um, one of the things that I became involved in was trying to get some um, standardization for at least or some, you know, what general level of pharmacy, what, what it means to be a pharmacy technician. And so I was able to carry that on to my role uh, now. I work in continuing education, as we mentioned at the beginning, with a company called FarmCon. They're out of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And um, we took the pharmacy technician education piece kind of to the next level, put it online. So we have a pharmacy technician boot camp there now that I host as part of a, you know, a program there. And it's a really neat program because it is one that's PTCB recognized. And as of January 1st, just coming right up around the corner here, as of January 1st, anybody that applies to take the PTCE exam is either going to have to have equivalent work experience or could have completed an approved program. And we are one of those approved programs, which I direct and so hmm. really really happy to that's have cool. that and so so that's separate from like uh technical college and completing like the i don't know if they get an associates or whatever they get with the that, like two years in a technical college that, that is correct our okay. program is more geared toward helping somebody succeed on these exams it's basically kind of like what are the minimum competencies and you know, what are we kind of looking for uh now we do get some students from like these programs who are just kind of wanting to use this as a review type program and that's great mm-hmm. Um, but it is just kind of, you know, our program is very, very basic, uh, trying to, you know, kind of bear knowledge and you know, what this minimum standard is, what the expectations are and trying to get the individual up to that, up to that standard. That's great because good technicians are invaluable. To absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Can't even stress that enough. Like if you could, if you have a certain amount of hours that you're able to use, you want to use that for the highest quality technician you have or certain you know, payroll that you're able to use, you want to use that for the highest quality technician you can. Right. Otherwise, it might, I mean, they can do the job of three subpar mm-hmm. technicians if yeah. they know what they're right. doing. Right, absolutely. So, and so the tr- I'm sorry, I'm going to say the trends that I see happening, I think that are within the pharmacy technician world, I think that they're going to this basically minimum competency. We hope, and the trend is that more states are jumping on board and we'll see that this, hey guys, this is like the minimum standard. You have to pass this test. And then beyond that, then they're starting to add things on, like then they already have been, like with sterile compounding. So you can be a technician, but then you can be certified in sterile compounding on top of that. Hmm. And so, you know, so that's a way that they can kind of track this because up until now, 
in just about every state you can you can sign up to go at your local retail pharmacy they have an accredited program you can take and you become a pharmacy technician at your local retail pharmacy and then in theory you could switch work at the hospital and you're doing IVs and you've never had any IV training Mm -hmm. a day in your life and so it's a way that they're trying to kind of address that issue so let me ask you a very important question sure are technicians ever going to be able to give vaccines there are some states where that's already happening. Man, yes. that is music to my ears. Uh, so we have the state of Iowa is one right now where pharmacy technicians are able to give uh, immunizations. Now it's not really? a, it's not across the board. So mm-hmm. Just like just like every pharmacist in South Carolina can't give immunizations, it, they have to have completed this program. Mm-hmm. They right. have to have the training in place stuff too. But yes, there there is some, uh, and there's other states that are definitely looking at what Iowa is doing, and it wouldn't surprise me at all to see. More news. Than okay. Other states. Job openings open. in Iowa. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. It, I, so this came up like on a thread on uh, one of those pharmacist groups on Facebook that I just happened to see, and <clears throat> it was interesting because somebody asked that same question, and one of the other people, I mean, just jumped jumped all over him. It was like, you know, this is the kind of attitude that makes our jobs, uh, you know, it pushes our jobs away because you're giving away all of our responsibilities and this and that. I was like, man, first of all calm down yeah. <laughs> second of all i'm like ma's like at my clinic ma's give i was gonna say cl- right. give shots all day long i don't, right. I don't give immunizations at my clinic yeah right. and so i'm like one the, the techs are super that's very reasonable that a tech can give a vaccine right. and two and i'm like that's a little closed-minded to think that you're worried about that when you're like okay well that opens us our, up to do more clinical nature right. Right. because now that we can do what we're trained for not spent all day doing 70 different vaccines. Right. It just, yeah, it was just interesting to see the different perspectives, but I mentioned that just cause I feel like there's going to be at least one person listening. It's like, wait a minute. I mean, the way it's shifting where people are, I think getting the majority of their vaccines outside the doctor's office. Right. Think about however many years ago, all vaccines were done at the doctor's office. Is that mm-hmm. not crazy to even think yeah. about these days with how many they do in the pharmacy? Um, it's just not going to be reasonable to have a pharmacist do it. And right. I mean, you know, for the companies, it's very expensive. <laughs> it's longer wait times for patients who want to get vaccines. So, I mean, it seems like a win-win all around yeah. if you could train them I, to do it. I completely agree. I think uh, everything's going to evolve. And for me, like, I'm, I would never even sort of worry about giving away that part of my job right. because I'm like, well, then that's good. And that means I can evolve and do something else different. I mean, I'd want like, to make sure that my technician knows how to do it. And I was comfortable course. with them doing it. Just yeah. like when I have an intern doing right. vaccines, I want to make sure I'm comfortable with them doing it before I just hand it off to them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's other stuff that I can be doing. That's for sure. <laughs> Always other things to do. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I agree completely. Um, so with your, with your program, how long do the, is the prep, um, like if there's prepping for an exam, how long of a program is it? Sure. Our pharmacy technician bootcamp is designed to be completed over 11 weeks, but, okay. but participants can take as long or as short of a time as they want to. That's just how it's set up. It's set up in, you know, goals to this is what we're complete week one, week two, week three, et cetera. Um, so they sign up for it and we have some individuals who will go through and complete the entire program. It's a series of continuing education programs that we set up for pharmacy techs. So pharmacy techs are able to kind of kill two birds with one stone. They get CE credit and they're preparing for the exam at the same time, at least for those states that require CE credit for technicians. And um, they're able to prepare targeted things. And then we have other people that will sign up for boot camp and say, okay, you know, I'm really good in these areas. I've been working in a pharmacy. I know, you know, what BID, TID, you know, I know all of those abbreviations and stuff. I'm going to skip all of this and I'm just going to do the stuff about sterile compounding, et cetera. And so we do have people that'll pick pieces out of the program mm. just to use whatever that's, you know, is, is valuable to them. Yeah. Now that'll be changing a little bit um, after the first of the year where to take the exam and they're going to have to show that they have 
you know, past the class, so they will have to, you know, kind of go through something through all of the modules and complete everything to have that certificate at the end. That's cool. So is that associated directly with free CE? Did they meld together or you do those separately? It is. It's, uh, it is part of free CE and it's, uh, one of the, they call it a specialty program and there are, I think five or six specialty programs on free CE right now. So that means in addition to, then the free CE model works where you have a membership and you can get to all of the CEs on the website, but this is sort of things that are in addition to the membership. Uh, they have this uh, pharmacy technician boot camp is one of those. Another one that was added on is um, pharmacy regulatory specialists, which is very, very popular. It's one that you know people who are kind of in that in a job role where they're responsible for keeping up with pharmacy regulations. Dr. David Brushwood from the University of Florida uh, has also been at the University of Wyoming. He uh, spears that for us, does an excellent job. And then I'll, another one that I'll point out quickly is uh, we have a pain management specialty pharmacist, and Dr. Mark Garofoli does that for us. Does a fantastic job, and a little bit out of the box. So I'll speak. You heard it here first. I uh, haven't even announced this uh, officially at Free CE yet, but we have very soon coming out. We have a uh, new program on illicit drug use, and this is another one that Dr. Mm. Mark sort of is an extension of his pain management program. And he literally goes through drugs, you know, look like like cocaine and ecstasy and all of these things. And, you know, you kind of look at it first, like, well, why would a pharmacist need to know that? And it's, well, these are drugs that patients are really taking. You know, For sure. We, we check yeah. these in and we ask if they're using these drugs and it gets marked. But, you know, what does that mean? What does the pharmacist do with that information? And so really, really excited. That's been my one of my big projects that I've been working on now is reviewing those slides. And it's going to be great. That's yeah, awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, it's that, really I'm cool sure program. that'll get a lot of interest because mm-hmm. anything like that with illicit drug use, people are always interested mm-hmm. in because they don't really know much about it. Right. It, it's interesting too when you know the, the patient population that I work with a lot. I mean, that's mm-hmm. something that does come up, obviously. And and uh, I, I, it's interesting to see kind of like the different reactions to someone who's not used to that. And the patient's like, "Yeah, well, you know, I do use heroin." And then it's wait wait what you know you have to, with a shock value versus okay let you know let's be professional yeah, and yeah. Uh, and figure out how we can do this from a medical you know management standpoint and and getting used to I think that's some that amazing training for the pharmacist to have for sure right. especially even with the drug drug interactions alone I yeah mean, sure I'm pretty sure if you go start asking pharmacists hey if you give uh, if you take Molly you know, ecstasy with uh, this drug is that a problem right yeah most yeah. of them are not gonna yeah, really answer gonna, yeah well, lady the other day was dropping off a um you know a script for her brother. I suppose, and said that he was on meth. Is this Keflex okay? And I'm like, well, I, I think I could pretty confidently say that Keflex is okay. But yeah, for yeah, other things, for sure, Keflex and really mag- meth are totally fine. Yeah, yes, a hundred percent. I would be good to go. Yeah. No worries. Uh, I love but, it. Yeah. yeah, we had I had a guy uh, that I was seeing for uh, diabetes education. We were talking about stuff, and I asked him, I was like, you know, is there anything? I was getting it, herbal supplements. Um, I was like, you know, do you take anything over the counter, herbal supplements, anything, you know, natural, whatever? And he's like, nah, not really. He's like, I mean, you know, I do a little bit of blow every once in a while. I'm like, all right, well, how, you say a little bit of, you know, that. Uh, how much cocaine are you actually <laughs> using? He's like, yeah, I mean, you know, a little bit, but who doesn't? Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, yeah. melatonin, <laughs> vitamin C, a little bit of blow. One of the things. The way he said it was hilarious because it was just like, I had to literally keep my professionals like, if not, because he was like, eh, who doesn't? Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Pretty sure not all of us yeah, use yeah, cocaine, but okay. Right. Yeah, whatever, respect. Yeah. It was funny. But anyways. Um, yeah, so, that'll be great. That'll yeah, be good. For sure. So um, you have to let us know too. We'll uh, put out a thing in. for you guys and kind of 
put the word out to help get it out there on yeah. social media and whatnot. Love you. when people do uh, exclusive announcements on our podcast. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> makes us feel way yeah. more important. It's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, you know, what's the model, I guess, with, like, what's the, with free how do you guys come up with topics? How do you guys come up with, you know, all the different, there's some really good information on there. I've used it myself personally to for CE credit and all that. We do. And we have our, the model is we are, again, we're based out of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, but just about, I'm the only <laughs> faculty member that we have that's, that's really on site. Everybody else is, you know, a faculty member somewhere else. They're, you know, around the country. And part of my job is coordinating all of those people and, and, over the years, we've collected you know people that we like their presentation style. We know the work quality of work that they do, and each one kind of has their own specialty little areas, whether it's diabetes or respiratory things. Mm-hmm. And so we'll sit down and kind of look at what's on the calendar, what we have. Less questions like what are we missing? You know, what are the states requiring now? For example, tonight we're running a program on human trafficking, and that's a program that I would have never guessed that would have been on my plate for continuing education for pharmacists. But we yeah. have two states that are requiring mm-hmm. that now, Florida and Michigan. And so we added that program in to meet the requirements for the pharmacists in that state. But you know, it's basically kind of going through and like what are you know kind of you know, identifying the you know these patients and kind of what a pharmacist should do because most patients seek medical care. Uh, that are involved in human trafficking, and so they've identified that as a healthcare practitioners across the board, including pharmacists, as a way to kind of intervene in that. And so that's hmm. a unique area, an example of one that would have never been on my radar <laughs> otherwise. Um, but um, we um, look to see um, what the big organizations are doing, APHA, ASHP. Uh, right now, for example, pharmacist burnout is a really big topic, so we, we did a program on that. Um, but we really try to listen to our users too. We have a bit, a lot of, uh, subscribers and we listen to the feedback that they're giving us and, Hey, I would really like to see a program on this. And we'll, we sit down quarterly and go through and say, okay, these are the programs that we want to do for next quarter. And then we go through our faculty list and seek out faculty to, to, to do that for us. Right. You know, we also do granted programs through the, through, uh, big pharma. And so, uh, drug companies will, um, come to us or we can come to them and submit proposals and that's another kind of avenue of our business but that's one that uh, is, is important to us but it's a way for you know I guess their interest is if there's a new drug you know in their particular field that pharmacists need to be aware of kind of how that drug along with the competing drugs kind of fit into the whole treatment scheme and so those are nice uh, those are some that we can offer for free because we do get funding uh, some of the more general programs, we rely on memberships, and mm-hmm. so that's where the, the memberships come in. And everybody always asks, why is it free CE if you have to pay a membership? <laughs> well, that's why. And that's because yeah. there, there are free programs on there that are granted from you know, from drug companies. But, um, you know, my um, job really is to kind of keep that calendar diverse, and I love hearing from our, from our subscribers to kind of tell us, like, you know, what we're, what we're missing, what we can use. So it's a part of your job as well to keep track of other states when um – regulations change and like they have to do they have to do something on human trafficking or on you know um, immunizations or something yes absolutely and that is something that i comb through like the newsletters for all the boards of pharmacy every month and you know it can be really cumbersome because some of these you know some of the boards really kind of hide their requirements very deep in the website and it's like oh my gosh like you know how do you expect anybody to find this but um you know what we want to avoid and it happens occasionally i will say but what we want to avoid is that last minute you know calls from all these pharmacists who are like oh my gosh i've got to have this we Mm -hmm. renew next we renew next month and so we do try to stay on the the edge of that so we we're, we're aware of it before before the need comes right 
Have you ever, you know, I'm sure with with a lot of different professionals giving content and presenting, you know, live or whatever it may be, have have you ever, like, kind of hired someone to do a project for you, they complete it, and then you get it back before it actually goes out, and you just go, oh, no. (laughs) We... (laughs) (laughs) Don't have to call anybody out. I mean, unless you want to. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I think it's one of those things that, you know, we try really hard to get faculty that we know we're going to they're going to do a, do a good job for us to begin with i just got back from ashp and part of my reason for being there was to scout out good faculty for for our, our members and you know we want people who can speak well um, because it, we all know that you know you go get the best person clinical person in a particular area and they can be a horrible presenter <laughs> and, and you know get nothing across to anyone and so and you know have everyone asleep by the end of the, the period mm-hmm. and that's not what we want and so part of my job, and I was one of those weird people that was going into programs for 15 minutes and then leaving and then going into another program, part of my goal there was to try to seek out people who are really dynamic and really good. And those are people that we reach back out to. And sometimes they have interest in doing stuff with us, other times they don't. But uh, that's uh, kind of a, a little fun thing that I get to do with my job. And like I said, 25,000 pharmacists in one places yeah mid-year yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> we need to definitely do mid-year next year cool when you actually right. put the schedule it and actually do it yeah we yeah. can yeah. yeah that'd be fun yeah we, we got we were getting yeah. i was telling you before we were getting people so, messaging us hey i'm yeah. sure obviously you're gonna be here so we're like, uh, like Ooh. you mean like set up a booth i don't even care if we have that, a booth because i mean we, or just we'll, go we'll hang out at brian's booth and so, we'll let him pay for a booth <laughs> <laughs> but yeah just to go out and, and talk to some of the people we interact with on social media when i'll be yeah, that'd be cool be fun absolutely New Orleans next year. Yeah. New Orleans. Yep. Nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That'd yeah, be good. That would be fun. Um, so what's the, I guess, the f- kind of future look like for Free CE or for you personally and career-wise? What, do you have any set goals you're working towards? Or Yes, absolutely. Um, we, our company, Free CE, and, and literally the guy that owns the, that owned the company up until this past summer, Kevin McCarthy, very, very, very nice guy. And, uh, you know, this history, I love working for independents. I mentioned I worked, you know, for an independent in nuclear pharmacy and independence, I mean, the, you know, their end goal was, you know, to, you know, they, they are going to sell. And that happened again over the summer. We were actually purchased by a company called Surgent. And Surgent is out of uh, the state of Pennsylvania. And this company does continuing education for accountants. And so they're pretty much doing what we're doing, but they have a bigger platform. They brought in a lot more technology that we're going to be able to use. So I'm really excited to be able to see that expand. And they're looking at, you know, beyond, you know, where our scope has always been pharmacists and pharmacy technicians and to some extent nursing. Um, they're really looking beyond that and they want to see how we can bring programs in for other modalities as well, you know, other healthcare professions. And so yeah. they um, have brought us on. So you can imagine that's a huge initiative, you know, to try to kind of get, you know, all of this transition. But I see lots of opportunity there, uh, certainly for us. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. I was going to ask because, you know, I mean, PAs and I think even MDs and NPs I and mean, they've all got CE2 that, that needs to be done. I would right. suppose that that would be a, another right. another market though. Right. And the biggest challenge, you know, and again, kind of, you know, the, the, our, the independent guy that I work for, he literally started this business from his kitchen table in Maryland and he ended up moving to Myrtle Beach. And so it's, I was thinking, you know, everything always happens, comes together for a reason. Um, but um, he, you know, from something that he literally started on his kitchen table, I and mean, it's amazing like how, you know, much has expanded, you know, how many offerings we have each day now. Uh, one of the only li- online providers that I'm, I'm aware of that does you know two to three live programs every single day, 
and uh, for them to be able to kind of put that on a, to another platform and kind of put more pump more resources into that, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be uh, very exciting. Yeah, it's great. So. Yeah, it was actually kind of funny. Cause I've told a couple of my you know students and things like that that um, we were going to do this today. I was like, yeah, you know, he's the director for Free C. They're like, whoa, yeah. like, you, got, <laughs> you got Free C. I was like, yeah, we we made it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because you see, you know, that I've heard of Free C ever since I was in pharmacy school. So you see like this big website I and mean, mm-hmm. it's all nebulous and it's like you, you right. never know who would be behind putting something in huge like well it's just people just regular people right. you know yep it's face awesome. to a name and that, that's what it is yep. do you, for, for for presenters do you guys always use PharmDs and in, in speaking or do you actually bring in mds or pas or things like that we well? bring we bring in uh, a variety cool uh, yeah we use a lot of PharmDs, uh, but we also have you we have a program for example where we're using an optometrist mm. you know, oh, that's, that's, cool. that's one that's going to be coming up and hitting the books within the, the next month or so and uh, so that's just one example. We, you know, we hired an, an optometrist or, 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 sorry, an ophthalmologist to do the program Ooh, for us. Don't let yeah. him hear that. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, maybe go back and dub that out. <laughs> but, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, but she, she does a fantastic job for us, and that's uh, one of the, uh, yeah, kind of. We've uh, used dentists in the past. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I have noticed you guys have advertisements and stuff coming up on Instagram um, and things like that randomly. Um, how, how are you guys using like social media to kind of promote things or educate as well? Right. We do uh, social media uh, in terms of like, you know, Facebook and Instagram and th- those kinds of things. That's one area where I hope that we can expand. And, and now that we have some additional resources to do so, uh, we're wanting to do some kind of some more like blog type styles on social media that, you know, that people can kind of go to things that people are interested in reading. Um, you know, right now we, it's kind of, you know, I kind of feel like that our social media platform in many ways just kind of promotes like upcoming things, which is good. Uh, but I would like for us to do a lot more with that. And that's definitely one of our goals for 2020. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I think, and we, we've talked about this a bunch in the podcast, but I've always, ta- I, I think that the online, the open access to education and, and learning is that, you know, social media and other platforms and stuff have kind of opened up, I think is sure. definitely the future, even in medicine. Um, and I, so it's cool to see bigger companies like you guys, like actually sure. jumping on stuff like that. Um, it, it, I was the other day I was, uh, kind of look, just looking through my feed randomly and there was an ophthalmologist that I follow right. on there and he, I get her, he has the assistant or nurse or whoever it was like in the middle of a procedure, like filming on Instagram live, like his ophthalmology surgery he was doing. Right. I was like, it's the future. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. This guy gets it. Next it'll just be like VR. So you're there right beside the eyeball just watching. Yeah. Right. I mean, you yeah. can do that. You can technically do that now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, someone's got to do it first. Yeah. It's, I'm telling you that I think I love that stuff when I see it because it's, it's right. like that's the way it, i mean that's going to open up so much more access to people who maybe now didn't even think about medicine in the first place or practitioners sure. from kind of getting set in their ways because there's constantly new stuff coming at you and sure. keeping update um, i can't imagine back in the day of you know having to actually go get a hard copy journal and that's what right. you had to go off of right. yep. sounds exhausting exactly. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely um, but, uh, so how can people, uh, if they have questions or anything like that, how can they look, find out more about free CE or ask you something or sure, know, contact abs- you guys? Absolutely. Our, our website is very simple. It's just freece.com. And certainly you can reach out to me directly. My email address is just kevin.hope at freece.com. And I'd be happy to, to help. We, you know, get requests and sometimes for, whether it's from faculty members or, you know, to kind of, Hey, why don't you do this kind of program? Um, get all sorts of emails. And so, um, again, kind of you know, being the person who coordinates all this, it's important for me to hear what the what the needs are in the community as well. 
do you guys ever do any like um like i don't know competitions or like sponsorship things for students to get access or even practitioners to get access to your program or have you ever done anything like that um at all i'm not sure i understand so like uh i don't know like if having like a clinical competence, like like giving them, you know, like a case to say, whoever comes up with the best um, way of handling said case gets like some a discount on a membership or anything like that. Oh, it's a anything? wonderful idea. No, I've no, yeah, that's something we've never done. But I like the way you think. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, is it something you think that like from a student aspect, do you think they would get benefit out of that as well? Because I, I would argue yes, um, even if they don't, really, they don't need free, you know, actual CE credit at that point. Right. I think there's so many good reviews on there. I think I think that there are, uh, you know, certainly, you know, con- from a continuing education standpoint, students don't need you know, continuing education credits. But there's lots of different content on there. Um, you know, so from that perspective, yes. We're also adding a pharmacolegal library that's coming up the first of the year. Dr. Brushwood put together, uh, gosh, I want to say it's probably about 30 different programs on different aspects of pharmacy law. And a lot of these have different cases that were tried in the state. And he kind of presents this in a manner like, you know, you know, this is what happened. You know, what would you do? And then he kind of goes into the, okay, well, this is what happened. This is what the court decided. And I think those things are very important for students. I had no idea that... You know, pharmacy law professors are sort of kind of becoming an, an oddity now. I had no idea until I started trying to find a speaker for pharmacy <laughs> law. And I started calling around to all these colleges of pharmacy in the Northeast. We were doing an event, and, and it was either Massachusetts or New York. And how many schools told me, like, well, we just have somebody from the Board of Pharmacy come in, or we have somebody from the DEA come in. You know, they just didn't have this dedicated person anymore. And so those types of resources, I think, would be invaluable to students. Because yeah. in, in many cases, they're just not getting that now. Yeah. I think that's all we had was somebody from the Board of Pharmacy come. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because whenever I'm trying to look up some small thing about the law, like, I remember learning this, but I'm not sure if this is right. Trying to find it, like, right. on, on the website or something oh, like that is atrocious. impossible. Even mm-hmm. finding, like, specifics about the new, you know, technician-to-pharmacist ratio in South Carolina. It's been mm-hmm. a few years old, but it's relatively new. Um, just because somebody was questioning me on it. Can't even find it on the website. There's a mm-hmm. ratio? Yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I agree. It is ridiculous. Yeah. But, yeah, that's awesome. I yeah, didn't so know those resources things were coming to. Yeah. Be fantastic. You guys got a lot of stuff cooking so, up. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. So that would be some absolutely, I think, could, could easily, and again, you know, another one of those things that like yes that would you know something that could be easily marketed to schools and so it's another opportunity like, yeah to, yeah and and i definitely just to kind of echo that a little bit as far as students i agree mm-hmm. just because i've I mean, even looking now through some of the monographs you guys have available um even though you don't need the ce credit um i would if you're a student listening i would definitely would check it out because it's not about the credits <laughs> <Right>. that's <laughs> that should be it's our new the, motto it's about the learning, about learning. About right. learning. Right. credits are great um that doesn't mean much when you're actually standing in front of a patient right um yeah i would definitely check this out the pain management stuff you guys have is awesome uh, there's a lot so yeah very very cool thank you um so man i really appreciate you coming all the way down here and doing this with us oh, my um, pleasure. It, was a, it was a blast having you in here and um you know, please let us know if there's anything we can kind of do to help out in the future. But um, so if you guys have freece.com, make sure you go check it out and uh, let us know what you think. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. If you have any questions, our emails will be in the show notes.
We also have a uh, texting platform that you can reach out to us now, um, area code 415-943-6116. Um, send a text. It'll send you back a automatic reply asking you to you know, add uh, us to your phone book and all that. And then there's a form you fill out. And then anytime we get exclusive uh, information. So, for instance, last night I actually sent out a three-page summary on the new asthma guidelines. Mm-hmm. Only um, people that have my text platform. <laughs> so uh, we, we sent that out last night. And, so basically um, I didn't get it. Yeah, Cole's not a member of our of, of our own texting platforms. That's great. It's good for morale. Yeah, and uh, it's so, a long phone number. I haven't learned it yet. Unbelievable. Yeah. So and no support from my co-host here. No, so we uh, we sent that out. So you can either easily reach us out uh, to us on text too. And actually, it's probably quicker than emailing us because I'm I'm quicker to respond on that one as well. Um, and then uh, social media platforms were there too. So you got multiple options to to reach out if you ever have questions for Cole or I. And um, thank you guys so much for listening. If you do like the podcast please leave us a comment they've been beating us up in the comments lately a couple of just them. one right mm. oh there's another there's another one oh, okay i'll take a look <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's gonna hurt your feelings cold don't lose yeah i'm just kidding it's not i mean all the all due respect for our haters as well it's fun it's all good it's what makes this country great <laughs> you get to Constru- have, have constructive everyone. feedback yeah sure. exactly yeah. everyone's entitled into their opinion <laughs> but um <laughs> so if you do like the podcast Throw a couple comments in there and offset this uh, <laughs> negative vibes we've been getting. <laughs> but you know, no. I think most podcasts just don't even mention the bad comments, but Mike just can't even help it. I had no, uh, because this is all good. So, <laughs> honestly, you know what I do? Can't that? Hold it back. You know what I do? And I'm totally messing up my outro right here. Um, why did I do that? Because I have so many students that are like, I've talked to that, like, say they want to start like a blog or a podcast or anything like that. And then they're like, yeah, but what if people get on there? I'm like, it's fine. No, it is. Trust it, me. Because that is going to come. You're 100% going to get someone on there that says you're a dummy. Um, I've been called all kinds of stuff on social media. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. It's not going to hurt you. Um, so, yeah, I, I put that out just because I don't want anybody to ever think that, like, yeah, we're just smooth sailing around here. Nope. <laughs> we get very angry emails sometimes. Vicious. Oh, man. We called all kinds of stuff. So, um, but thank you guys for the, those of you that do listen. Really appreciate it. And um, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Great. Thank you.